On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam, and welcome. When Tony Burgess wrote his novel Pontypool Changes Everything in 1995, no one could have foresaw him writing the film adaptation to his own book shortly after it was published, but he did. Originally titled Pontypool Changes, this first film script would have been more of a direct adaptation of his original book, which included various locations and a large ensemble cast something that ended up being, in Tony's own words, quote, hard to get off the ground since you're asking people for a lot of money to make a Canadian zombie film, end quote. Eventually, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, CBC, would commission Tony and his friend, director Bruce McDonald, to write a radio play based off of Pontypool Changes Everything. Suddenly, everything clicked. Since the movie they envisioned was no longer being made, why not do this radio drama? Then, why not do this radio drama and film it? Inspired heavily by Orson Welles' The War of the Worlds radio drama that aired in 1938, Burgess wrote a new script, the more simply titled Pontypool, in under 48 hours. The movie, released in 2008 at the Toronto International Film Festival, would go on to have, in Burgess's own words, terrible opening numbers and, quote, wasn't universally liked, yet would go on to garner a cult following and critical acclaim. Even as fans and studios wait almost 16 years later to see if the two planned sequels ever come to fruition, and Tony himself sits back as a spectator having already completed the scripts, so maybe don't forget to tune into your local radio stations and stay warm out there. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Hi, this is Katie. And hi there, I'm Brittany. Welcome back to season five, our first official full-length episode review episode of Pontypool, which is currently streaming on AMC Plus and Shudder, which I forgot to say on Sidetracks last week, I realized, as I was driving to work this morning. So, haha. It's also a uh, very cool one hour and 35 minute movie. So this movie felt like a very quick watch. Yes. And the radio play that they released the same year, that it was released 2009 on the BBC, uh, BBC radio station, is 53 minutes, I think. It's either 53 or 58 minutes. So if you want it even shorter, you can just listen to it. It's... Got a different ending, though. So yes. to listen to both of them. I listened to parts of the radio drama because I was like, oh, it's someone just uploaded it to YouTube. I think it was the BBC. I could be wrong. But I was like, oh, impressive. I don't know if you realized this, too. So when I was researching this movie, I kept coming across interview after interview after interview with Tony Burgess and hardly any with Bruce McDonald in the cast. Yeah. It was Br- like... He's kind of an enigma. Yeah. The interviews I read with him and particularly I wanted to give a shout out. Bloody Disgusting has a segment they do called Phantom Limbs where basically mm-hmm. 
they follow up with like directors and writers about sequels, prequels that haven't been made yet. And so they call them right. Phantom Limbs because Ooh. they're like, hey, what's going on here? I like that idea. I do love Bloody Disgusting. They got good articles about horror movies. I do too. They're really, really good. I'll be honest. I, a, lot of, a lot of research over the years at Grindhouse Girls has come like in part from Bloody Disgusting. But mm-hmm. there's an article called Writer Tony Burgess Heads Back to Pontypool Discuss What Sequel Pontypool Changes. Uh, all right, to discuss unmade sequel, Potty Pool Changes, so I can read my own damn handwriting. And this was a very long interview, but gave a lot of insights to what happened after this movie was released, which was really cool because it was like Katie has said before, initially no one saw the movie while it was in theaters, but it's kind of just slowly gained this cult following. And now it's like a hard classic. And it's now like people on- are like, we want our Pony Pool. Yeah, it's like on every list of like, Underrated horror films you gotta watch. Wham, 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 wham. Sorry. Yeah. Explosions. That's pretty much it. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it is It is interesting that it is so popular in horror movie terms, but, like, yeah, it wasn't popular. Um, the one thing I did find out about Bruce McDonald was that he did win an award for a different movie. He won an award for Most Outstanding Canadian Film at Toronto's Festival of Festivals for a movie called Roadkill. But all of his movies I have not heard of, except for this movie. You know what's crazy? is looking for his IMBD page. It was like, so he directed like 20 episodes of Degrassi, the uh, uh-huh. Next Generation which I thought was hilarious because I loved Degrassi when I was a teenager. But also, he directed a movie called, that I actually own the book and the movie of, it's called The Tracy Fragments. And it was Elliot Page when Elliot Page had done Juno right around the same time. And the only reason, yeah, the only reason I had watched this movie and read this book was because Elliot Page was in it. And it's very, the Tracy Fragments is very, very bleak, but I I, I really liked it. So yeah, other than his Degrassi episodes, that's the only thing I've seen by him. Yeah, his other films are like The Husband, Dance Me Outside, which sounds like something that girl on Dr. Phil would say, and Highway 61, but I haven't heard of any of those. He, his IMDb has one of those pictures that, like, I feel like someone who's, like, also a musician would have. So I was like, well, maybe he's, like, a musician first. And then he got into, like, movies. No, I think he's just a producer and director. At least not where I could see. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know. Maybe he just does indie movies a lot. Because just because you do indie movies doesn't mean you're not a great director. Did but you yeah. see, like, on Wikipedia, they were just, like... He's part of the Toronto's new wave of directors. And I was like, what? I, I never heard that terminology. And it said they, the Toronto new wave were almost all low budget independent productions made for less than 1 million. Mm. Yeah. So it was like he came came of age in the 1980s and rose to prominence. And that was a big thing is all these directors were young. They were making these very low budget films and stuff. So and there was a few things I had read where they were just like, I guess some Canadians were like, yeah, Bruce McDonald is one of the only directors that doesn't make us look like a joke which i'll be honest i'm not yeah i was like i'm not i'm not that i guess i'm not as familiar with canadian filmmaking as i thought so that's where i was like okay i guess that's something i need to brush up on a little bit more there's oh god he did dune fuck what is his name Villeneuve, who's french canadian i believe or maybe he's just french oh yeah gentilly quebec canada okay yeah that's awesome. Yeah. I, was, I was like, he, I would consider a new wave because he's a fucking fantastic director. Well, 
I, what was his early? I guess we won't go too much off on this. 1990? Uh, so his years okay. active, 1990? Okay, I guess that makes sense. I was just thinking in terms of budget, I was like, Dune had a hell of a big budget. Oh, <laughs> well, for Dune, yeah. But he started yeah. out doing, like, I don't know, I've never seen August 32nd on Earth, but Mm-mm. I mean, I, can't, I think Incendies was his first big film. And it had a six point five million dollar budget, so more than this than Pontypool would have had, but not a lot more in movie terms. Yeah, this movie is a little bit of a challenge for me. Not the actual movie itself. I I enjoyed the movie itself, but the terms of the research was a little harder for me because it is a very small cast film and it was a small budget film. And yes. most of the things I came across actually reference again and again the novel. And then the mm. follow-ups to what this, like, the follow-ups to this film. Yeah, I tried really hard only to look at stuff for the movie, but there wasn't a lot of research that wasn't, it wasn't, like, other movie makers or movie reviewers going, like, mm-hmm. or critics going, like, this is what Pontypool is all about. And I was just like, okay, well, I want to know from my brain. I don't want to just spout someone else's. Uh, opinions. I will say it does have an eighty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is which pretty is good. high, pretty high for a horror movie. Um, yeah. Especially, it's not a very gory movie. There is gore, but it's limited. I will say, I will say a big trigger warning, which I feel bad. So I think I said last week trigger warning for blood, of course, but the other trigger warning in child violence, although it's off screen. But I f- had watched the beginning of this movie. In, like, early December. Got interrupted. Or I, some, somehow I paused, like, it two-thirds of the way through. And then I hadn't even picked it up. And I blocked part of the movie out of my brain. Because when I went back to rewatch the whole thing, I realized there's a scene where people have brown face. Yeah. And I will say, historically, this was 2008-2009. The desert storm had been going on. Was probably still going on. So there was like a really weird sentiment in the U.S. to the Middle East. Uh, not well, a, and this is Canada, but Canadians also served in Desert Storm as well. Did you also? I thought maybe it was more of a saying about how this is a small town and like I small town so. doesn't doesn't think about things like that. Because I, I know you talked I about doing there, like West Side Story when you yeah, were a kid, right? Someone yeah. Just decided I should be a shark and not a jet. My blonde yeah. pale ass—it's disgusting, and I apologize publicly. I, I think have that's I what said I that on the. Have, I don't know if I've said on the podcast, but I find yeah. it. The pictures are very embarrassing. I didn't quite tr- pull a Justin Trudeau because I was a child, but I feel really bad about it. But everyone I've told but, about it has said it's hilarious, but it's not okay to do that. But I do think, I do think they're trying to make fun of people doing brownface I do and too. doing Lawrence of Arabia the musical, and then having a very not okay impersonation of a of an Arabian person. I don't know if, you know, I don't remember. I've only seen Lawrence Arabia, like, in parts. I've never actually sat and watched the whole movie. I know. Terrible. But I will say the lead singer of the musical part is Bruce McDonald. No, it's... Uh, Tony Burgess. To- yeah. Tony Burgess. It's the writer. I was like, oh, it's funny. But yeah, it's... I forgot. It completely lo- left my brain. And then I turned it back on. I was like, what the fuck is this? 
And then I was like, oh no. Yeah. I, I should have trigger warned everybody beforehand. I think that's exactly because as soon as it popped up, I was like, oh God, because it's the sad kind of shit because they're just like, we really want to do this. We don't have people of color. Well, we'll just, we'll well, just paint the kids' faces. It. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. But you see it in small towns. But that that's probably like the worst thing they say. Surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of language that was very like backwards. Yeah. There were a lot of things like people used to just say, that's gay when anything was vaguely stupid. No one yeah. said that. Although this wasn't America. This is Canada. And no one was saying like, you know, the R word, which was a big old thing when I was growing up. And oh, having yeah. an aunt with disabilities really like made me not be okay with that word from a very young age and i was like well it's not cool but people yeah. just used it all the time but none of that so uh pretty okay for an early 2000s movie not the worst this wasn't like hostile no definitely not i didn't know because like I, so i i can't talk anything related to like the supposed sequels because it would be it would be spoilers for the the movie so do you want to get into the rundown Okay. And the plot synopsis, yes. and then I guess we, I guess we could go for the actors as we're talking about the characters. Yeah. I okay. will say cinematography. I do want to say I did find it cool. It's I don't know if I'm going to say this person's name correctly, so I pre-apologize. I am so sorry. Miroslav Bazak, Bazak, B A S Z A K. Um, they were camera or cinematography for the three hundred. Dawn of the oh. Dead 2004, which has a lot of nice. interesting cinematography. And then recently, they've done camera work on The Strain, which is that Guillermo del Toro vampire miniseries. I watched a lot of it, but not all of it. It looked very cool. Chapel Weight, which was a really good... I want to say... What is... It used to be MGM+. Plus. Now I can't remember what the streaming service is called. It's a, like a Stephen King miniseries that takes place in like the olden times. I think I talked about it on Sidetracks. And the girl from Schitt's Creek is one of the main characters. And Adrian Brody from The Pianist is the main character. It's like there are vampires in this like 1800s town. And mm-hmm. anyways, it's it's really decent. And um, The Boys. He sent cinematography on The Boys. Oh, I love The Boys. It wasn't always, he wasn't like always a cinematographer, but he was often like doing camera work for those. And I was like, that's a pretty impressive thing. I will say the camera work here isn't like uber complicated because they are in like one location, but there are some really good shots of them just like yeah. still. And the sound, I couldn't find like, the, the sound department was very long so i don't know who was in charge of the sound department is a very long list on imdb but the sound engineering and the sound design for this movie is very interesting because it is all about sound and words and hearing so let me do the rundown and then we'll quickly go through the cast because the only i only have four five five people yeah me too but i guess it would be a spoiler to say some of the stuff about them if we say before the rundown so the rundown for this movie is on a frigid valentine's day morning the mazzy in the morning show is inundated with reports of strange hordes of people speaking strange words and attacking the residents of the small town of pontypool that's all i'm gonna say spoilers from now on let's go into the cast yay (laughs) i was trying to do a good radio transition 
So we do have Stephen McCaddy as Grant Massey, who's the main character, I would say. Although it's very an ensemble piece because his he has a lot of like there's like only like five people that interact, but it's pretty ensemble-esque. He's a radio DJ for the Massey in the Morning Show on Radio 660, The Beacon. And he was fired from a big city job for um, pushing too many buttons, it seems. And he does not like winter. And he deals with that by putting alcohol in his morning coffee, which is not a healthy coping mechanism. But you know what? Things get worse in this movie. So I guess... Whatever gets you through the day. I don't know. I was like, he looked familiar to me too. And then I saw he was Hollis Mason, aka the original Night Owl and Watchmen. And I was like, I love Hollis. I love him. So he is, he is Hollis Mason. However, I recognized him because way back when there was this Lizzie Borden movie on Lifetime starring (gasps) Christina Ricci. And they ended up turning it into a series apparently, which I've not watched the series, but I did, I remember watching it. And it's like, honestly, not a bad version of the Lizzie Borden story because it kind of explores like the different conspiracy theories around it about how like, there's the one where they thought that maybe she was having an affair with their maid, but then like, that's not really supported because like, she didn't really seem to like her maid very much or even know her actual name. She called her maid by her old maid's name, which is fucking weird. Yeah. But then there's also like, maybe she was hiding something with her, maybe her uncle helped her. Anyways, but it's an interesting look at all the things, but they play this, these like modern country rap rock songs and this was this movie's probably like five or six years old at this point, probably even older. And it's just funny. It's just ridiculous. And it made me laugh. But he plays Andrew Borden, her dad. Wow. In both of them, the series and the movie. So um, I was like, oh, that's why his face looks familiar. He's also in The Fountain and The Covenant, along with Watchmen. And fun fact, he was married to Meg Foster, who was one of the scream queens that was one of the three witches in The Lords of Salem. Oh. And she's been in other Rob Zombie movies. But he's now married to Lisa Hool, who plays Sydney yep. in this movie. Yeah. I think they were married at this point. I'm not sure. That's what, according to my research, they were. Like, they, I think they were, like, more along the lines of being newlyweds at this point. But they, they were married. Oh, it says they got married in, like, the... 1919 something so they maybe were married mm. for a long time oh but um lisa hole plays sydney Breyer, who's the producer of mazzy in the morning and she has two children with her ex-husband bob and she may have had a drinking problem there's something that she alludes to where she's like this is how my first my last relationship ended i'm drinking too much and you're not saying anything but this actor has been in haven flashpoint ejecta which i believe was written by tony burgess an episode of seinfeld and she was on several episodes of a show called Scene of the Crime. Do you want to take on Georgina Riley? Yeah, so Georgina Riley plays Laurel Andrum. And she played Corey Shredders in the TV series City on the Hill, which I wasn't familiar with. Goalie, the TV series The Baker and the Beauty. Uh, she was in the TV series for one episode, Rebel. And Janice in 11 episodes of the TV series, The 2022 Quantum Leap. Yeah. Um, and also The Murdoch Mysteries, which I did notice over and over again that members of this cast were in The Murdoch Mysteries yeah, it's, together. It's a pretty popular show that yeah. people... It's kind of like Law & Order here. Yeah, her character is like a, a vet of the Afghanistan. They, they just said in Afghanistan, so I'm going to assume it's... De- 
Did I say Desert Storm? Wait, which one yeah. was Desert Storm? I thought Desert Storm was in the 80s or early 90s. Am I You're wrong? You're right. Okay. You're right. Oh, fuck. What was, what did we call the one after 9-11? Operation Enduring Freedom. Anyways, but she is, an, she is a vet, a Canadian vet of Afghanistan. Um, we also have Harant. Alianak as Dr. Mendez, uh, who is a local doctor who begins to understand the outbreak as he escapes from the horde from his office to the radio station. He has surprisingly done a lot of very interesting movies. He's an Armenian-American person, which is why at some point in this movie, he just starts speaking Armenian. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm glad because like there's a whole thing about like the English language is the only thing that's infected. So mm-hmm. he's just speaking Armenian. I was like, that is great that they got an actor to just like naturally spoke a foreign language. And I was like, good for him. Uh, so he's in that show Sex Life that everyone said was like Fifty Shades of Grey, but like not quite as stupid. Mm. It's on Netflix, I haven't heard I of it. I I heard I had a lot of like uh cr- like movie reviewers and critics on YouTube like talk about it like in like a this this TV show is absolutely ridiculous but not as bad as Fifty Shades of Grey so if you want a lot of sex go watch Sex Life he's also like been on Kim's Convenience which is on Netflix right now I think he's a small part in Possessor which I need to finish Possessor because I don't remember who he is but maybe if I go back and finish it I can and he's also directed a movie called Burning Burning yeah do you want to talk about Rick Roberts yeah so he's the voice of Ken Looney Loney Loney damn it because he's lonely because he's lonely oh I always think it's the Sunshine Chopper he was Donald A. Arby in 48 episodes of the TV series Traitors, which I wasn't familiar with, but I'm like, no. 48 episodes, that's impressive. That's a lot. 2006 Man of the Year, uh, six episodes of the TV series An American in Canada, which I was also not familiar with. But in his in his defense, he has 105 acting Internet Movie Database credits. Damn. I was like, well, that's impressive. I was like, you know what? Just because I don't know the movies you're in, that's still impressive honestly and this is a spoiler but so his character is the sunshine chopper guy yeah but a lot of people die in this movie and after he you know presumably is dead um (laughs) uh sydney's like he wasn't like someone's uh uh what grant grant is like Sydney, I know. I'm so sorry. I know he was your friend. And she was like, no, he wasn't my friend. I just knew him for a long time. He was a fucking pedophile. And she's like, oops, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I love it. She says, he was a pedophile. She goes, not really. We just wouldn't let our kids near him. I'm like, so <laughs> pedophile. Yeah, you're just like, oh my god. Um, but that's really the only people that have any, like, significant roles. There's the Lawrence of Arabia crew, but, like, honestly, like, meh. They kind of just come on and then leave. Yeah, pretty much. And then, like, Daniel Fathers is Nigel Hilling, which is another voice we hear on the radio very yeah. briefly. So, so, but it's, it is an interesting film in that it all takes place in this, it's snowing really hard. There's a snowstorm going on. It's Valentine's Day. And they're stuck in this radio station, which I do like. They do make it very interesting because sometimes, sometimes one location movies can get very boring but this one actually i think it helps the story because the story could be very stupid because i i told scott what it was about and i was like 
Because I had to watch it without him because of time stuff. And I was just like, oh, so basically it's this movie where instead of, like, a zombie-like virus outbreaking with, like, blood and bites, it's the English language and certain words trigger the infection. That's how they travel. And he just kind of was like, what? And I was like, I was like, I know it sounds weird and it sounds stupid, but like somehow this movie makes it work pretty well and does leave you with like an eerie feeling. And as someone who has a really hard time not talking, this would be my fucking nightmare. Yeah. And that's the thing, even like, I think with zombie films, which are just like, well, they're not really zombies. They call them conversationalists. It's like when you listen to Bruce McDonald talk in interviews, they're like, oh, they're conversationalists. But it's like there's something terrifying about zombies because you can tell they were once human. And it's almost like losing parts of your humanity, right? Like it's like, so you're a zombie. It doesn't matter if it's your mom, your brother, your sister, your child. You're still going to attack them. And it's like almost some people, because, you know, a lot of people like to equate zombies to different things. Some people Mm -hmm. actually equate zombies to dementia and losing parts of yourself and not being able to control it. Um, which is a really kind of sad way because I always heard consumerism because going back to Dawn of the Dead, that was like one of the first horror films I saw when I was a kid. But I like this. There was an article called Horror Obsessive, Pony Pool in Three Mediums. And I thought they explained the the infection in the stages very well. So they say it starts with deja vu with accompanying asphagia. Victims are panicked and stunned. Next depression and physical symptoms start like your tongue hanging out of your mouth. Then revenge accompanied by violence. And throughout the horror deal, they repeat over and over again some words. So it's like, you know, they twist their words. But I really like that idea of like, it's like initially there's confusion. And then you're enraged by your confusion that you can't even make sense of your own language that you speak. Now, the thing I didn't quite understand or really liked, and this was Taylor's thing too, is like we didn't understand why it was the English language was the only language that was really affected. Yeah, I wonder if it's supposed to be like some kind of like, because again, this was like active war times. Not like not war, war, not war stateside, but, Mm -hmm. or I guess North America side, but there were a lot of people that were very worried about like terrorist attacks and like well nowadays like people putting stuff in the water i'm like i wonder if it was supposed to be like uh like a like a attack on only english speaking people like that someone had manifested or if it's just random they don't really they explain like how the virus spreads and what the virus is but they don't explain like where it came from and, I, like, sometimes I'm like, uh, I guess you don't need to ex- over-explain. And maybe the f- other two movies would explain that. I don't know. The subsequent yeah. sequels. Maybe they do. So, it's really interesting. I, I, I do have to say, since we're in spoilers, and I'll make this very quick. So, originally, the it was going to be Pontypool... Pontypool changes in the final movie would have been Pontypool changes everything. But then there was talks about the second movie being called Typo-chan because Typo is in the middle of Pontypool, the world. But Um, originally the Pontypool changes would have been the first script he wrote, which would have been a literal adaptation of his novel, which is like all the characters, like there's multiple locations in Pontypool and you would have seen things like the doctor's office explode and stuff. And so Pontypool would have been the radio station. Pontypool changes would have been loosely based off the novel where you have all these characters and you would see, it would tie into the first movie because you would hear Grant's voice 
as the yeah. characters are listening to him, but you would actually see what was going on that they were being described to on the radio. The third movie, and this was the movie to me that would have been probably the most confusing to general audiences, would have been a weather report. And so it would eventually spread that the language would affect the weather and you would have oh. to like stay in during certain times. And then like, it would almost be like an infectious illness that like if you got the Pontypool disease, not that they call it this, it's like, oh, to combat it, you'll have to scream for two days straight. Because huh. that was his essential idea in writing this. It's like, so if you had to change the way you structured your language to, to combat this disease, how would everything else change around you? It's like eventually everything that we huh. know would change. It would no longer be the world we knew. Yeah. And I guess they kind of achieved that at the end with their little bumper, which is also a weird thing, which I guess, I don't know if we should get into it this very second. I guess, you know what? Whatever. We're just in spoilers. Y'all have watched the movie, but there's, so there's this weird bumper. Oh, sorry. I was going to finish my thought. The engineered virus thing, like how there's a theory about The Walking Dead that it was like an engineered bio weapon or something. But I wonder if like it would go from because you know English has roots in I was thinking this last time I watched it English has roots in German and French so if you if you if you know your history sorry not trying to be that person but I always find it I the two easiest languages for me to learn are German and French personally Spanish is probably like the third because Spanish is also a romantic language which is what French is so like those I can get okay not that I'm fluent but German basically sounds a lot like English in a lot of words. French is like English once removed because the people that lived in England for a long time were Germanic. Well, they were the Celts first and then the Germanic people took over. And so the Celts went up to like Ireland and were in Scotland and all that and went to their own stuff. And so Scottish and Irish kind of sound like very different and Welsh sound very different from German, German, obviously. So there's the Celts. They get whatever destroyed by the Germans, the Germanic people. And then the Norman Con invasion happens. And the Normans invade England. And they speak French because they're from Normandy. And then English and, I mean, English, Germanic English and French kind of mold to become what we know as modern English. So my thing to go through all of that... I wonder if the virus, if it continues to spread, would spread through other romantic languages mm. and Germanic languages. And I wonder if, like, it would stop there because, you know, like, Celtic languages do not sound very close to that at all. So I don't think they would be affected. And also, like, more um, Middle Eastern and Asian languages have no roots in English, German, French, Spanish, but like Spanish, French, German might also Latin, Italian would also be affected because they all have roots in each other. So I was like, I wonder if like that's what would happen eventually, which is an interesting, interesting, yeah, theory because like you think that like English is English and French, you know, but they all historically have roots in each other, except for they don't. Because when I tried to learn Japanese and Korean, 
Very different. Very hard for my brain to wrap itself around because they don't have roots in English. Or English doesn't have roots in them, so like, not familiar. I will say this real quick, because they say the best time to learn language is when you're a child. And it's weird because from watching anime when I was a kid versus <laughs> taking four Spanish classes for my BA, I know more Japanese than I do Spanish. Well, now, hey. I'm not fluent. I'm not fluent in Japanese, no. but I recognize more Japanese yes. than I do Spanish. Yeah. I recognize odd words in Japanese because it is something in Korean that I've, yeah. you know, I've watched a lot of Korean and Japanese movies because I just like those mm-hmm. movies but but french and german i will pick up words spanish yeah. too but i i had like the same spanish lesson for eight years and it didn't go a whole lot deeper than that and i hate that because i would like to be able to be fluent in spanish because it is like the closest language spoken to english like yeah. physically so i'm like it would be nice if i could like go vacation in south america and at least be able to speak the language in some places obviously not brazil but you know other places i could speak spanish Yay. But yeah, so I wonder if it would have spread that way, too. And I I do think it's interesting for, like, especially, like, a radio play, for this plague to spread through words and through Mm -hmm. terms of endearment. Baby talk is what they say. Like, don't say baby talk. Don't say terms of endearment. Rhetorical discourse. Or the English language at all. Which is interesting also because this movie takes place in French Canada, so Ontario, Ontario and Quebec, most people speak French and English. So it was cool that like they knew a little bit of French so they could kind of like avoid speaking English for a while. And then Dr. Mendez, who speaks Armenian, could speak that. But I wonder again, like would French eventually become infected? And it bothered me that they stopped speaking French at some point. I was like, why don't you just speak French for the rest of the movie? Yeah. You found a way around it. What the fuck's going on? Come on. Um... Stop fucking around and finding out. Jeez. That was one of my things is that like, so I don't know if it reminds you of The Vast of Night. And I love The Vast of Night. Now, obviously, this movie predates The Vast of Night. But it's like, it's so taut. And it's like, so you're in it. And I, Mm -hmm. I just, I loved it so much because it's basically, you know, like radio or like, listening to an audiobook your mind starts to fill in the images and that's even more horrifying right but then i feel like the third act of the film just wasn't as serious i don't want to say hokey but it's almost like those final like 20 minutes were a little bit more hokey compared to the rest of the film to me yeah i mean i think it was maybe a little better when the violence was removed so Laurel Ann gets infected because she's the one answering the phones. And people are calling in, obviously already infected. It is very freaky. Like, at some point, she's just, like, singing a single note. And Sydney's, like, worried about her. And she's like, oh, my God, are you okay? And Dr. Mendez has, like, not broken in, but he's, like, slipped in through a window. Um, and he's like, oh, no, 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 I've seen this. Like, don't talk to her. And so she starts, like trying to get through the glass the soundproof glass from the recording booth and she's unable to so then she just starts hitting her head and bites off her own tongue and then eventually she just vomits a ton of blood because she can't get a victim and she doesn't know what else to do so it's, it's really sad about Laurel Ann and stuff. And that part I felt like they handled really well. But then, like, the hordes come in. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Mendez does a very selfish, selfless thing. I was trying to say selfless and I started saying selfish. Oops, sorry. Selfless thing. He, he begins to get infected. So he 
you know, leads the horde away from them. Yeah. And that was very cool. But then, like, they just lock themselves in a supply closet, and then Sydney starts to lose it, but then they figure out if they redefine, if they pull a reverse dog tooth and they redefine words so they don't mean what they actually mean, then they can basically neutralize those words. So he says, kill means kiss. And so she says, kill me. And he kisses her. And they're like, ooh, kissy, kissy. Weirdly, in the radio play, she says, kiss her. And he kills her, which is weird. Like, so Sydney dies. She asks him to kill her, though. And then he's, like, completely alone and he gets infected. Yeah. And then it's like, okay. But I do like that they kind of figure out a way to survive. But then the other thing is, like, he's like, we have to tell people about this. I'm like, stop talking. Yeah. That's how you spread it. Shut the fuck up, Grant. But I guess, like, they've already established as a character, he never lets go of shit. But the army in French is, like, telling them to stop talking. And so they finally, like, you hear an explosion as it fades to black. And you're like, oh, shit. Because you hear the army, like, slaughtering people, trying to quarantine. And they're like, unlike Shaun of the Dead, I guess it doesn't work. Because then, like, over the credits, you're hearing all these reports of it spreading. And then at the very end, it establishes that they did survive whatever explosion happened. Supposedly, according to the directors and shit, supposedly. Really? I guess it's it's up for interpretation. Okay, because Tony Burgess, it did not confirm that. That's why I was looking, giving a look, because I was like, okay. I think the director is trying to tell you, because originally, Mm -hmm. the end bump, which is them calling themselves two different names and speaking Johnny Deadass and Lisa the Killer. Yeah, oh, like a roundabout. Like basically they're speaking in a different way. Yeah, it's very like black and white and they're like yeah. dressed in old-timey clothes, so it's like very noir looking. So it almost looks like a alternate universe or like a different world altogether. Yeah. And then they like eventually turn and fades back into color. And, like, it's kind of implied that if they did survive, then they are, like, having to call themselves by different names. And, again, reverse dog tooth. If y'all haven't seen your ghostly anthemosis dog tooth, maybe you don't know what we mean. But go listen to our episode on that. And they're, like, saying different words. And it is kind of jarring and weird. I wish, like, they had joked about something. Like, I don't remember them doing this, but maybe I missed it. But, like, I wish they had joked and been, like, you know, I used to pretend I was this character called Johnny Deadeyes. Yeah. And she was, like, I was Lisa the Killer. Would have made it a a little more interesting. Because then it was just, like, where the fuck is this coming from? But apparently the credit scene was, that scene is now post-credits. But originally yeah. it happened right after the explosion. But the audience was, like, so fucking confused that they were like, I guess we'll leave it for an after credit sequence. Because the explosion, honestly, is the more powerful ending. So the same interview where it's, like, the Phantom Limbs bloody disgusting interview, like, Tony Burgess is like, people ask me, so what's the deal with the post-credit thing? It really bugs me. Can you explain that? And my answer is, no, I can't give an explanation because the question itself makes me so angry. So Jeez. he he definitely wants, he has an idea in his head. Me personally, I think there's a definite allusion to the books and also what we would have saw in the sequels, which is once again, when something changes, everything changes, which, 
it's not that I'm a nihilist. I like to be optimistic, but I'm like, I just don't see how they would survive a nuclear explosion. It's the thing I keep going back to. I don't to. know if it was a nuclear explosion, though. I think it was just an explosion. It didn't sound like a nuclear explosion. It I thought like an I, explosion. I don't know if it's in the book or if it's like in one of the scripts, but I thought like they referred to it as a nuclear explosion at one point, which is where I, that's why I said nuclear explosion, because I thought I've read that they referred to it as that. I need to get the, my hands on the script. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe in the radio play it is, but in the mm-hmm. movie, I don't think anything was implied that it was anything close to nuclear. It was just mm-hmm. machine guns and then an explosion, which could mean anything, honestly. Mm-hmm. It could be dynamite, you know? And therefore, like, they're in a soundproof booth, which has probably got some pretty thick walls. So they actually might be able to survive an explosion in that. Like, maybe not in other secret other circumstances but they might actually survive if the roof is strong enough honestly they're in a basement too they say they're in the dungeon so honestly like they might be okay i don't know because like at one point sydney was like out in the area and like the ceiling stuff was coming down she was outside the sound booth and he was fine in the sound booth Mm. So, if I'm remembering correctly. So, maybe they're fine. I thought I was going to like the post-credits sequence. I don't like it. I find it very weird. It seems like like a weird... You know how, like, the beginning of Kill Bill Volume 2 is, like, her in that car? Yeah. And she's like, and now I'm going to kill Bill. And it's very, like, stylized. That's what it reminded me of. Which is kind of stupid. But it's Kill Bill. So I'm okay with it. I liked it for Kill Bill because it was almost like bridging. Because obviously, like, it was originally supposed to be like one huge six-hour movie. And then it's like, no, we have to do this in two separate volumes. So it's almost like The Bride's little recap, which I like. Yeah. With this one, and no offense to Bruce McDonald or Tony Burgess, but it felt like with this, the post-credit was almost like an inside joke. And the audience wasn't meant to be on it, really. Yeah. Which at that point, just don't have it. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I don't... I don't think I was that disappointed in the last 20 minutes, but it did, it wasn't the strongest. I thought it was strongest on the lead up. Yeah. And like when they were getting all the phone calls in and like there was like some music ramping up and they were like, well, I think people are fucking with us. And they're like, oh, or maybe they're not where they couldn't really tell if it was real or not. I think that was the more scary and exciting part. I like it. I think one of my favorite parts is, so he's talking to uh, Ken and Ken goes and approaches the boy who has like the stumps or his hands are missing and you hear him and he's like talking in like this baby voice, like oh, this infant so shot. It's so creepy and they do a close up on Grant's face and his eyes are watering. Like he's so scared that he starts like tearing up and crying. Yeah. I thought that was like a very, very powerful scene in the yeah, movie it is it is very creepy i do not like that yeah like, i liked it from a horror but it was very creepy and i will say this movie pros and cons the pros are like it is unsettling and it does make me dread winter which you know our snow is finally gone but part of me likes being snowed in but the other part of me sometimes my body does not handle cold well like days and days of cold and we had days and days of, of pretty cold weather and like no matter how much i bundled up i was just i get like weird i get really bad muscle cramps if it's too Mm. cold and so like i was like physically hurting scott by the way was fine the whole time but me and gizmo are like huddled up in like three blankets and he's like should we turn the heat on i was like it's already at 68 like it's fine we're okay but i was just like i wish i could like i like snow and i like the winter 
but like sometimes it's just real cold and it makes you feel very lonely yeah. and so I think this movie did a good job of making it feel cold and lonely and dreadful also it was at least refreshing to not have a zombie movie where it was just zombies yeah you know I would agree with you there I think that's like the big pros for me is that it's a really cool concept it's like original it's unique the acting's great but hats off to Stephen McCaddy because he is so good in this movie like he's a phenomenal character actor and I do I love the first two acts of the movie I think it's great when there's only really the theory of them, it's a tight space. You're hearing all these things. Your imagination's kind of running wild. I love that kind of filmmaking. Yeah. It's just that I think, I know what they were trying to get out with the third act, but it just made it feel like a little bit of a different movie. Yeah. You know, I did, I forgot, and I just clicked on this link, and I just remembered that there is a spinoff of this movie. Oh, yeah. Called Dreamland, and Johnny Deadeyes is in it. But it's almost like it's not really a sequel other than the character being the same. It's like a pseudo-continuation, but it has nothing to do with Pawnee other than the characters. Because here's the synopsis, y'all. Just to laugh. The film stars Stephen McCaddy in a dual role as the maestro. A jazz musician who has been hired by the Countess, Juliette Lewis, to play at the wedding of her vampire brother, Tomas the Marquis, and Johnny Deadeyes, a hitman who has been hired by crime boss Hercules to kill the musician. So he's playing a hitman hired to kill himself. Wow, okay. That's a lot. It's you gotta a, give a it lot. to him. It's something different, though. Yeah. Oh no, like, this is at least an interesting movie. Did you have any cons? Other than uh, the trigger warning of the brown face. No, no, that not, was my big con. <laughs> other than like the last like 15, 20 minutes, no real cons here. <laughs> of a 90 minute movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but you know, that's, hey, that's not too bad. Two thirds of the movie being really, really good. I love that they cast like actual romantic partners because like the chemistry was great in this movie. I just don't know like if I. It just, like I said, it just felt really different, especially leading up to the kiss. Like, I know the stakes are high, like, because it's like, you know, they could die at any minute. But it just didn't feel, like, it didn't feel right. Like, the kiss to me didn't really feel right. Also, I got some sexual tension. But, like, honestly, like, I didn't know enough about these people Mm -hmm. to, like, yeah, I want them to kiss. You know? Yeah, And that's something that, like, I read in one of the interviews with Bruce McDonald's. It's like, yeah, we got, like, zombies. He may not have said zombie zombies, but he's like, we got zombies. We got this great epic movie kiss. And I'm like, is this the great epic movie kiss we're talking about? Because it's not not a bad kiss, guys. It's just not. It didn't feel warranted to me. I really thought Georgina Riley's character, uh, Laurel Ann, had more chemistry with... Um, him because she was she had like a little crush on him I thought the same thing and she was her feelings were hurt that he forgot to give her her Valentine's Day card he had one for her but he forgot to give it to her and then he oh. realizes it when she's dying or when she's basically dead and he's like oh I forgot to give her her Valentine's Day card I mean obviously like not age appropriate like not illegal not age appropriate but like she's very young she's like 25 yeah. At the most. And, like, he and she are, like, in their 50s. But she does have this kind of, like, I wouldn't say a schoolgirl crush, but obviously an admiration for him. And she really, like, looked at him, like, with eyes of, like, 
I he like entertains her and then he like annoys the boss. Yeah. So it's the enemies to lovers plot, which is fine, I guess. I usually really like enemies to lover. Yeah, but it's very overdone at this point too. Like we've all seen Pride and Prejudice. It's great. Yeah. Time to move on. Let's let's go to ratings. I think we've okay. kind of established that decent movie. I think I would recommend this for horror movie people that like slow burn horror, although it's not a slow movie, but it's not a lot of action packed. But did you have a, a an out of 10 rating, Britt? Oh, this is hard. Oh, I know Ryan's just going to be like, do not say it, Brittany. Um, so I'm not going to say 7.5. I'm going to say 7.8. <laughs> I think I could have given it an 8. The only thing that kind of made me not was I just did not dig the ending. I'm sorry. I If the ending had kept up the, like, intensity of the first half of the movie i think this would have been like a solid eight for me but it just didn't but that's the only real complaint i have about this movie overall what about you i gave it a 7.5 so they knocked half a point for the brown face okay okay that's fair too (laughs) that's completely fair i don't know i felt really embarrassed that i didn't mention it last time because i literally blocked it from my memory did you have a grindhouse girls rating for it i did neither one of these are i don't know how i feel about them but it's just what came to my head so i rated uh one of them was rated for rated c Mm. for conversationalist choppers and cats my other was rated k for kill kiss and killing kids (laughs) i had rated r for rabid radio frequencies. Okay. And rated S for something's always about to happen, which is a phrase they use. Yes. Um, and then rated H for have you seen Honey the Cat? Yes, that's that's what, what one of my C's was cats because of Honey the Cat. I think I like your R rating probably. I do too. I liked my K for Kill Kiss Killing Kids because I thought about how they how people infected start repeating things and I thought it sounded like a repetition but then I was like no no one's gonna get it unless they watch the movie and even then they may not get it I will say this real quick you know we're we're officially in Sundance mode and they're talking about what movies to watch at Sundance and that means which movies to keep an eye out for later this year so it makes me really excited I am annoyed because there's a lot of movies that I heard about through like Sundance and Con. That haven't gotten, like, a sprinkling of, like, attention from award season in American awards. And I'm kind of like, ugh. Anatomy of a Fall is nominated for five Academy Awards. Yeah, that's, like, the only one, I feel like. And I did. I want to say real quick because I thought it was really weird that Anatomy of a Fall was a major international film I kept hearing about, but it wasn't shortlisted. It's because France decided to shortlist the taste of things. They went ahead, even though freaking Anatomy of a Fall is the Palme d'Or winner, they decided to submit the taste of things. And supposedly the inside talk where people were so upset over that that they purposely didn't vote for the taste of things to move forward, which is why it's not one of our international nominees now. But the thing is, to me, it's like, well... France, if The Taste of Things had been shortlisted, there would have been two French movies that could have potentially won big this year. And I thought it was interesting because the lead in The Taste of Things, the male, is the lead, the male lead and the piano teacher. Oh! So, oh yeah. That's weird. Oh, he's and old now. No! I mean, obviously, he's going to be older. He's still very handsome. I think he's very handsome. Older man. 
But Julia, how do you pronounce her last name, Katie? Oh, Julia actress. Binoche. 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 Did you know? Did you know they were Benoit. actually so they they play opposite in this movie. Um, but they were actually married in real life and had a daughter, but they've been divorced for years now. Oh. I thought that was really interesting. Obviously, they still get along with each other enough. Yeah. I just thought that was fascinating that, like, they must have this very innate chemistry. So, for next time we review a movie, what are we reviewing, Britt? It's your pick. What are we reviewing? Okay, so we are doing a movie neither me or you have seen yet, but it does, like, take place in the winter, and it's a horror comedy. It's called Werewolves Within. Yay! And it is currently streaming on Hulu, if Google is telling me right. But yeah, with that, I think we do have to say goodnight. Have a good week. Take care of yourself. Well, this will already be air. This will air after it happens, but I hope the Ravens have a good game this weekend, for Scott's sake. The Bengals got fucked. So we're rooting for the Ravens to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Stay healthy. I know I'm having like sinus shit. So um, take care of yourself. Take an extra vitamin or two and wash your hands. You know me. I'm like, in the words of Bob Barker, spade and new year pets. Da, 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 da. Spade and new year pets. Thank you guys for always listening, for coming back, for commenting on things, for messaging us and uh, telling us to watch this movie. Or, you know, we always appreciate your insights. We always appreciate you listening and connecting with us. We love you guys. Take care of yourselves and one another. And, of course, we look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, Same spooky time, same spooky channel. Stay spooky, y'all. Stay spooky, y'all. Bye. Bye. Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.